usually where I might explain things more and go into more detail, I'll fly over a few things, and that's just kind of like for us to get you out at a reasonable time. Does that work for you? <laughs> no, preach long, Pastor Terry. Okay, I, no preacher ever hears that, and I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't say it either. Okay, so let's pray over the word. Lord, as we get into your word, and particularly in the context of Mother's Day, help us all as moms and dads to learn the craft of parenting. Not, not, Lord, some list of rules, but set for us, Lord, an absolutely reliable foundation for us to step up onto at every stage of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You know what a stereotype is, right? A stereotype, here's one definition I've got for you. It's a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. Okay, you already knew what a stereotype was. It, often they're incorrect, they're unfair, they can be racist, they're just not... So you got to be very careful before you start spouting any stereotypical ideas. Um, the word stereotype, um, the etym- etymology or where the word comes from, it comes from two words, a Greek word and a French word, that mean, frankly, they mean solid plate, the idea is that you would t- use a solid plate to make a copy of a document, right? And so that every, every succeeding copy would be identical to the original. Stereotype. Makes sense? Okay, so that's, that's the original context of it. There's this image that's perpetuated on and on without any change. So we have stereotypes in our culture. Like, for example, we have stereotypes about blondes. <laughs> I married one. And what is it with blonde jokes? I'm, I don't know what it is with blonde jokes. Can you see the eye, the evil eye I'm getting right now? This, this, this is the stink eye we're getting over here. Um, our culture picks on blondes. So, and, and listen, a stereotype isn't always true, but honey, is it okay if I just tell one blonde joke for the day, for Mother's Day? Okay, not all dumps are blonde. Okay. Okay, so I, can I, I'm just going to tell one blonde joke for the sake of being stereotypical. So what, what does a blonde say when you blow into her ear? Thanks for the refill. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. Okay, so we have this word in the English language, type, T-Y-P-E, and I'm not talking about the verb or the adjective, I'm talking about the noun. A type is a symbol for something else. Okay, it's a symbol for something else. And um, um, our word typical has, a, has type as a root word. Okay, so it's a, it's a symbol for something else. And in the Bible, there's a concept and, a, and, a, and a, a way of studying the Bible that's called typology. It's the study of types or examples in the Bible that are meant to suggest something else. Here's a, here's, here's a definition we'll use for a biblical type. Real people, real places, or real events that were chosen by God to preview the fulfillment of his plan or something about his character. Typically, there are, the Old Testament is full of types that will be explained in the New Testament. That study is called typology. And it can be taken to extremes, and then it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I think um, you, you get both, both cases. Some people say that there is no such things as types in the Old Testament. It never happens, which is wrong. In fact, it's not scriptural. In fact, there are types in the Old Testament that Jesus said were a type. And so obviously there are some in there. The other end of the extreme says that everything in the Old Testament is a type. Every jot and tittle, I think, is there by, by, by design, but they're not all types. You following? You tracking with me? Okay, so 
there's type. So but as we go through this passage that we're going to be in today, I encourage you, in fact, any passage, to watch for the types. See what the Lord might be saying because there are many, 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 many layers sometimes of meaning inside of Scripture. And so um, I, I encourage you to do that. Here's a couple of examples. I'll just give you a couple of examples of what we're digging out here. So Jonah emerged from the fish after three days and three nights. That's a type or an example, a foretelling um, of the fact that Christ would be in the tomb three days and three nights and then emerge. Okay, so that's, a, that's an example of a type. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 12 and in Matthew 16 as a type. He gave examples of that. Another one is in Romans chapter 5. Paul is teaching about this, and he says that Adam, this, you can read this yourself, but he says Adam was a type of Jesus. So here's an example where Paul is, is referencing Adam as a type um, and, and a, a foreshadowing of God's um, fulfillment of his plan and of his character. Okay, so today we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3. And I have to say that I had a message completely prepared for this out of this exact same passage. And the Lord said, no, not for today. I'll mention that a little bit later to you. But so we're in that same passage. 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon is about 20. Here, he's become the king, okay? He's David's son um, by Bathsheba. And um, he's now the king. He's about 20. Married Pharaoh's daughter... Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places. Okay, high places were like mountaintops, and that's primarily referred to places where Baal was worshipped and other false gods. The people sacrificed at high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except that... He sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. That was specifically prohibited to the children of Israel because of the fact that those were places to worship Baal. And, and the deal about the pagan worshipers, they thought that if they worshiped in high places, that they were, because they were closer to heaven, the chances that their petitions were going to be heard by their God was, was increased by that. Which makes no sense because obviously if you go on a mountaintop here, those poor people in Australia are getting further when they go on a mountaintop from God because if God's above our mountains, I mean, it's just crazy thinking. <laughs> anyway, but they, but they believe that. And so most of these hilltops were Baal worship, locations of Baal worship. So the Israelites were prohibited, except in some rare circumstances. And, it's, and I think that, now, okay, so now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. So that apparently was one of the allowed exceptions because there was no temple yet. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. I mean, at this moment, this guy's really laying it down. A thousand, I don't know, it doesn't say, um, at least in this passage, a thousand bulls or some combination of bulls and other animals. This was, this was him laying it down and sending a message to heaven, but also sending a message to the nation. We, as for me and my house, kind of a thing, right? We will worship God. And not just a little, but whole, this is a full-throated deal. At Gibeon, the Lord, so here's what happened. At Gibeon, appeared, uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? What do you want? Hey, you, okay, uh, you've got my attention. Name it. That's basically what's going on here. And Solomon said this. You've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. 
You've continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. He's, he's honoring God and reminding him about that. Verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous and too, to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Wow, what an amazing passage. And uh, by the way, I don't think he asked for wisdom there. We'll come back to that. So here's some quick lessons for, for leading your family, whether you're a mom or a dad or anybody in any capacity that you have been allowed by the Lord to be their leader. Number one, admit to yourself why you need God's help because you do need God's help to lead successfully in any and every capacity. Verse seven, now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So here are some reasons why we need God's help to lead. First one, we're too young. We are. Verse seven, but I'm a little child. Solomon understood that his leadership was going to be discounted by many people because he was just a spring chicken. He was around 20. Now, (coughs) (coughs) my wife was so smart. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Where was it? Oh, we're too young. Now, many of you are more than 20. This still applies to us. Because and the reason I would say this is that I'm too young. It required certain capacities in me and certain life experiences to, to successfully parent a three-year-old. But for some reason, even though my kids grow up and move away and get married and do things like that, they still see me when they're 30 as a parent. And the problems of a three-year-old are different than the needs of a 30-year-old. Even though our role changes in so many ways, I'm too young to parent a 30-year-old. I'm too young. Solomon understood that leadership would be discounted because of our youth. I feel sorry for my mother who has to, has to, has to parent a, th- a 63-year-old. And Tom, too. I feel sorry for Tom for a lot of reasons, though. <laughs> okay. They're mostly related to cats. They got nothing to do with my mother. Okay. There's this Jewish tradition that basically held that a boy becomes a man at 12. You probably knew that. But the tradition continues. There's, it goes beyond that. They held that a, that a boy became a man, a man at 12, that he gained knowledge at 20. You could give responsibility to him at 30. And at 40, he could handle authority. 
Do you get that? Okay, so there's an understanding here. In their culture, 12, you're a man. You gain knowledge at 20. He's king. And he's ahead of the curve here because they've given him responsibility, which he shouldn't get for 10 more years. And they've given him an authority that he shouldn't get for 20 more years. And he's the king. God, I need your help. I'm in above my head. And Solomon was wise because he saw it. And when God says, what do you want? He says, oh man, I need help. I need you, Lord. I'm too young. And you might think, well, you know, okay, what is, you know, for some of us, there's a time when I thought, okay, what's youth got to do with it anyway? I'm, I'm an adult now. I, I, I got some things figured out. Well, people's life, their views of life change as life experiences start to accumulate. Wouldn't you agree? When you've started living some experiences, some things start to change, and, and, and people can't help if they're young. What can I do if I'm young? Well, I'll tell you. Here's two things you can do if you're too young for the role that you're in. One, tame your heart. Just because you can decide to do something and do it doesn't mean that you always should. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will. Direct your paths, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Tame your heart. And then the second thing to know is that God has always provided for you all kinds of relevant and helpful resources, starting with his word, the Bible, the word of God. And if you still have parents, they are a great resource. Friends who are godly, qualified that. I didn't just say friends, but your friends who are godly, a great, great resource. And there are all kinds of Christian writers and teachers on all kinds of different subjects. So there's lots of resources. Okay. Second reason that we need God's help is that we lack experience. He says, I don't know how to go out or come in. There is no substitute for experience. I mean, training and educating yourself are important to do, but they're not experience. You know, I'm such a nerd. I'm off looking at, you know, okay, are there any studies out there that talk about um, learning versus experience of valuing them? And yeah, I happen to find one, and I'm just a nerd enough to have read it. I read this study that came out of Harvard that was a study of training versus experience for cardiac, minimally invasive cardiac surgery. Okay? <laughs> Heart surgery, the least invasive kind. And they did this study, and uh, they were looking at the training. So you got people with equal training, and this might be incredibly obvious to you, but they did a study, so I'm going to share it, okay? So to people with equal training doing the same kind of a surgical procedure, and people who had less than five times doing the procedure, it took them about six hours of surgery time to accomplish this specific kind of surgery. You tracking with me? Once they'd done that surgery 25 times, they could do it in less than two hours, would you rather have someone crack your heart open for six or for two? Obviously, experience makes a big difference. Their conclusion is that the experience was more important than the training. That's their opinion. I don't know how to go out or to come in, so we lack experience. A third, re third reason that we need God's help is, is this. What, what, what belongs to God needs to be handled with excellence. Excellence. And your servants, he says, is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. I, I just have to tell you, when you're dealing with anything that belongs to the Lord, it needs to be handled with excellence. And that's kind of scary. Fourth reason, the pressure can be significant. And your servants in the midst of your people and you've whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. It's just a lot, God. 
It's a lot. I need your help. Okay, so lessons for leading. First one, admit to yourself why you need God's help. Then two, depend on God to lead, not your own qualifications. Here's Solomon's answer to God's what do you want question. Verse 9. And tell me, I don't think he's asking here for wisdom. You might feel differently, and others do. Therefore, give give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. An understanding heart so I can tell right from wrong. Knowing that and what to do with it are two different things, but he's asked for an understanding heart and he knew, Solomon knew that his heart was a work in progress even though he had been anointed king. He could have said, hey, (laughs) I've now reached the top and I got this covered. Let's just do the things I want to do. He had every right to do that. He was the king. He could have said that. He has an understanding heart though. He, He wants an understanding heart. He knows he lacks something there. Do you have an understanding heart? Because right this moment, God is working to transform every one of our hearts so that we can know his will. Maybe you're well down that road, but you're not at the end of it, I promise you. Do you have an understanding heart? And maybe you're thinking, okay, Terry, how does he do this? Well, I would really like to preach the answer to that question, but we don't have time today. But I'm just going to give you a snapshot. Romans 12, verse 2 says... Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is his good and perfect will. That's how. Therefore, give your, heart, give your servant an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. That is the key to, to, to leadership. That is the key to parenting in our day. The key to parenting is not Boosting your child's self-esteem. It's, it's not being a good role model. It's not spending more time with your kids. It's, it's, it's not making communications a priority. It's, it's, it, those are all good things. It's not letting your kids feel safe to fail. It, it's not being strict about bedtime. It's not making them eat their vegetables. It's not, showing, it's not even showing them that your love is unconditional. Those are good things to do, by the way. They're not the key. Good leadership starts with not with a technique and not with tasks and not with behaviors. It starts within your own heart. And Solomon got that. And he said, God, if I'm going to be a good leader here, stuff's got to happen in here first. First, God, give me an understanding heart that I might be able to discern between good and evil. If I'm going to be a good parent, that's where I start. And because Solomon was sincerely willing to own his own limitations and own his own weaknesses, he asked God for help. He, he positioned his heart to be available and willing to be transformed. Verse 10, that speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. You've asked for understanding to discern justice. Behold, 
I've done according to your words. You get what you've asked for. See, and then here we go. I'm going to go give you way more than you asked for. I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone before you nor shall any like you arise after you. God exceeded his requests by a large margin. And if you read on in that story, you're going to find out that he not only gave him more than he asked by adding wisdom, he gave him all the other stuff too. Knowledge and understanding and wisdom are not the same thing. They're just not the same thing. Let me tell you what I mean by this is we're about done here. We're going to wrap up in just a minute. Not the same thing. Knowledge is the ability to collect facts and information. That's all knowledge is. Your ability to absorb and collect facts and information. That's what knowledge is. Understanding, by the way, it's possible to have knowledge but not have any understanding and any wisdom. You ever know anybody who knew a lot and they were dumb as a sack of rocks? I've never met anybody like that. (laughs) Except in the mirror. Okay, so, um, okay, that's knowledge. Understanding is an ability to, to correctly discern meaning from all of those facts. Okay, um, that's the what and the how and the why. I got all these facts, what and how and why, what's going on here? It's possible to have knowledge, and it's possible to have understanding, get that meaning, but still not know what to do. That takes us to wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do next in the context of all of those facts and the understanding. That's what wisdom is. And wisdom always requires the presence of knowledge and understanding. I wish I had time to spend on this, but, but that's where we are today. So you parents, just this is a rhetorical question. You tell me, do we need wisdom to raise our kids? We, we need wisdom to raise our kids. It's harder today to raise a child than it was when I was parenting little kids. And I'm sure that has been going on for generations as the world gets increasingly more difficult and savage to raise children in. That's why we want to thank moms for the way they've invested love into us through those difficult things. But here's the deal. This same blessing and honor that God granted to Solomon is available to you and me today. And I'm going to close the service with this one scripture and then I want to pray over us. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, ask the Lord, and he will give it liberally and without reproach. So all we have to do is ask. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. Now, I'm just going to tell you that at some point I'm going to pick this passage back up. I'm not sure when. Because the passage continues and it talks about a story about two mothers. There is an amazing story about two mothers there. And um, both of them suffered a terrible loss. And that's another story, another message for another time that we'll come back to. But I want to encourage you this moment to position your heart that when we ask right now for wisdom, that there's a place in your heart for the Lord to put it. Don't, don't, don't put a lid on there and say, it's full enough, God, I don't need it because that's what you'll get if you position that. So position your heart. I encourage you to do that whatever your place and station. You don't know tomorrow what wisdom the Lord will want you to draw upon. 
for those to whom he will put in your path to make a difference. So please position your heart and let's just expect that the Lord will keep his word here and give it to us. So Lord, today we're grateful. It's good to have this secular holiday that reminds us to get our hearts right and to position, position ourselves to honor which you, those which you tell us we should honor. And it makes perfect sense, God, that we do that. So Lord, as we honor moms today, we now turn inward and say, God, we know that true leadership happens right in our own heart. It starts right there first. And God, we don't know what we'll face tomorrow. Maybe we have a handle on what we face today, but either way, we need wisdom, God. So we lack it. Maybe some of us carry a lot of it with us, but we still lack enough. So God, we ask for it. We ask for you to give us insight into those that we lead. I specifically pray over moms today. Give them an insight about what's going on with their children at whatever stage, whatever age, that we would be able to discern what is good and what's evil, to know, Lord, and to understand what is happening there, and then give us the wisdom, Lord, to know how to do it. When we're supposed to do something, when we're supposed to let go, help us to understand that, Lord. God, I pray that this day for moms and for dads and for aunts and uncles and for people who have no biological children of their own, but yet you put younger people into their lives and give opportunities to be a parent, a loving parent at some capacity, that you would grant to us, Lord, the tools we need to function in the very offices that you've placed us in, and that's one of them. And we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in this precious, your precious Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, church? I'm going to call the prayer team up. Um...